Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. I was really uh, hoping to have a shorter message week this week, so I've been planning on it for a couple of weeks now. And then, of course, some developments with some road access issues and campus development stuff meant we need to have a quick five-minute talk about some campus updates. So at least for the message portion, I'm going to try to be shorter, but hopefully you'll forgive me on this. Um, Hopefully you've noticed we have some access issues when it comes to the farm. Um, If you haven't noticed, here's a picture showing you what County Road 17 looks like as of this morning when I took this picture. Um, It's road improvements for a road that obviously services our farm property. If you didn't know, uh, that red barn right there, we got 20 acres as a campus. That's going to be the future site of Timberline Windsor. Purchased that about six years ago or so. Um, And so the developer going in south of our farm property has 240 homes that they're putting in. And so road widening and infrastructure and all that kind of stuff is going on as we speak. We have a part in that. We have cost sharing in that because that's our road. The utilities they're bringing in, we're going to use. The sidewalks they're putting in, those are going to be sidewalks that service our property as well. And so it's something that we didn't initiate, but we do have a share in it. So if you're one of those people really upset about all the road closures in Windsor, sorry, we played a little bitty role in one of those. But um, this will give us safety to our site. Um, It's infrastructure that we needed one way or another. When they chose, the developer chose to go first, that kind of committed us and we knew that that was going to be a part of it. Um, It will impact ministries for a little bit. That road means we can't get there on a regular basis for things like Wednesday night TSM or Sunday night middle school uh, TSM as well, or some of the small groups that meet there. Uh, Christmas at the farm is an event that we've hosted there. And even though this road closure will be done by then, the site, we don't know what condition that's going to be in, and you can't easily facilitate a thousand people or so for Christmas at the farm when you don't know what condition that's in. And so the reality is we're going to have to be a little flexible. Middle school ministries, our Boys and Girls Club on Wednesday nights have have been very flexible to allow us to kind of have middle school meet here for the next five weeks as is needed. Sunday night, TSM High School doesn't have as much of a problem. They get to use kind of this whole campus. Uh, And then Christmas at the farm will be something that we're going to relocate to this campus as Christmas festival. It'll still have live petting zoo and a walk through Bethlehem and hot cocoa. So as long as you have those three things, it's, it's worth it. So um, it's going to have some impact on us, but for the short term, we're going to be adjustable, adaptable. One of the questions I often get is, does this then impact Timberline's campus development efforts and our timeline to, to relocate to that spot? Maybe. The answer is maybe with this infrastructure coming now, all the conversations that we're needing to have about our share of the cost and infrastructure and future developments are not only ongoing, but kind of picking up some speed. And I entered into a prayer a couple of months back with this congregation at a point before we really know a whole bunch of answers to important questions. Let's be a praying church. 
Let's be open palm with the opportunities that, that God gives us because I'm excited, you're excited about future possibilities, and yet hopefully we can all agree we don't want to be ahead of God. We want to be ready. We want to be discerning. We want to be like the stewards of the talents that don't bury what we have but use it as long as it glorifies God and, and marches with his orders. So one thing, if you're a member of Timberline Church, you can expect that in the next few days or weeks, uh, we're going to call for a membership vote of selling off about three of the 20 acres that we have. There's a site plan up there. Harder to see on the side screens, but on the screen behind me, uh, the southeastern portion where according to the master plan we developed a few years back, how are we going to utilize these 20 acres, that southeast here, I'll just point to it, make it easy, this part right here um, was a part that we said according to our master plan isn't mission critical for us. If we can parcel that off, then some of the cost sharing amounts that we have now may be worth it to sell that. We have a developer that's interested in that, and so that may help us kind of move things a little quicker and not have to do things like raise funds, a campaign just for that kind of bit. So if this is not news to you, and this is kind of anticlimactic, that means you've probably stayed relatively up to date on things. Um, if you're a voting member, you need to know that kind of communication. We don't just get to decide buy land, sell land. Um, our deacons are unanimous in approval of this. And so we'll kind of continue moving forward with the communication here. But that's why I wanted to make sure with all this road access stuff and future timeline and, and selling off part of the land so we have 20, we can get by. We can make sure that our future site is developed with the 17 that we would have left. And, and these are just things we need to communicate, keep in front of this church family. So there's that part. Um, Let's start off uh, diving into Mark chapter 11, and an interesting note, last week we left off with verse 25, with mathematicians in the room should mean we pick up with verse 26. There is no verse 26, at least in my Bible. I'm, I'm serious. If you open your Bibles, go ahead, find it out. It goes from verse 25 to verse 27. Now, the reason for that is it's a simple manuscript divergence. Some later manuscripts have what's kind of a mirror statement to verse 25. It says the opposite thing of verse 25, but most scholars agree that was a later edition. And either way, it doesn't really change the implications of the passage. Um, it's a minor thing. doesn't really matter a whole bunch. But that's why you have no verse 26 in your Bibles. And as we discussed last week, chapter titles, verse numbers, these were all assigned later for our reference and ease of navigation, not to be considered part of the original scripture. Now, the ending of Mark, while we're on scriptural diversions, uh, the ending of Mark is something totally entirely else, but I'm not preaching on that today, just recognizing there's a skip number here. So stay focused, pastor. Here we go. Verse 27 and they, Jesus and his disciples, came again to Jerusalem. And as he, Jesus, was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? 
But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus is boldly telling these people, it's time to pick a side. Jesus says, pick a side. Who are these guys that he's saying this to? The chief priests, the scribes, the elders, collectively, they make up what's called the Sanhedrin. This is Israel's highest leadership. So this is like Jesus in Washington, D.C., Jesus at the Kremlin, Jesus at the Vatican, whatever context you want to envision. And in Matthew 23, it tells us a little bit about Jesus's indictment of these people, the Sanhedrin. What are they like? What's their leadership like? Matthew 23, Jesus reacted to their leadership or lack of and said this, they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Man, they love the influence of people. They love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, he said. So woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Like I said, Jesus is not pulling punches with these guys, mincing his words. This is in line with what we encountered last week, that when Jesus shows up to the temple, what he finds is the religious leaders are not filling out their purpose of leading people to true worship of Yahweh. So yes, Jesus, as he steps into Jerusalem, he's kind of picking a fight with these guys. It's not a petty fight, not a, not a fist fight. It was a confrontation that needed to happen. And I can kind of feel the tension right there as, as you sit back and you picture Jesus. Wait, Jesus isn't a fighter, is he? Huh, which is it? Listen, if Jesus in your mind is just meek and mild, That's something you gotta work through today. Jesus is not just meek and mild, just like he's not just wrath or just power. A weak man, a pushover, doesn't head straight for Jerusalem where he knows the fight's gonna be. A weak man, a pushover, doesn't make it his life's mission to confront dead and decaying and misleading religion. A weak pushover does not have the kind of reaction that we see from all the demonic powers that know who Jesus really is, still choose to oppose him. But when Jesus tells them to do something, what do we see? Unyielding obedience and trembling. A weak pushover doesn't command that kind of response from his enemies. Jesus is the ultimate warrior. I'm not trying to swing the pendulum the other way and make Jesus out to be this bloodthirsty bully. The fights that he chooses are always righteous, are always confrontations that needed to happen. And you know what? He's unthreatened in his engagement. 
Jesus is the ultimate warrior, never petty or bloodthirsty, and right here we see him heading straight on for enemy territory with both sacrifice and victory as a certainty. And so when Jesus goes into the equivalent of the Capitol building or St. Peter's Basilica, and he starts taking over the place, he's assuming the religious leader's responsibility. He's assuming their roles. He's declaring, I'm in charge now. So if you were these religious leaders and someone walked into the political and spiritual center of your existence and said, I have arrived. I'm in charge now. Your staff can go. Your ministries are canceled. How would you respond? These guys had to be going does this guy have the authority to do what he's claiming? Is he one of us? And once the answer clearly came back, no, then he has to be dealt with. They're neglecting that there's one other possibility here. So impossible in their mind that it didn't even register that he's not merely a man taking this stance. This is Yahweh coming back to his house and returning the temple to the way the master wants it. And so after Jesus has triumphantly entered Jerusalem with all kind of pomp and circumstance and and toppled tables in cleansing the table, sending home their staff, canceling ministries, the Sanhedrin come face to face with them. The Sanhedrin, they would have tried to deal with Jesus long before any face-to-face interaction and just put an end to him, shut him up. The problem is such an influential leader, you try to strike him down, the people will revolt. And Rome would not tolerate any rioting, any mobs. Rome would indiscriminately put an end to all of this. And the Jewish leaders did not want Rome to come with indiscriminate Jewish destruction. They just needed this guy dealt with. So they do. They go directly to him. Who do you think you are? What authority do you think you have to come in here and take charge? When someone puts their finger aggressively in your face and says, who do you think you are? What what does it make you do? Makes you kind of boil up with pressure and all kinds of emotion, right? Not Jesus. Jesus is calm. Jesus is collected. And Jesus does not back down. He's not overwhelmed here. In fact, he kind of answers them like the Riddler. (laughs) Answer me this. John the Baptist, was his ministry from God or from man? Pick a side. If you pick a side, then I'll tell you what authority I have to do all these things. This is brilliant. It's God. It's the origin of brilliance. Because if the Sanhedrin cannot pick a side on John the Baptist's testimony, then they have no basis to evaluate Jesus. So the question is, why could they not pick a side on John the Baptist? I love that Mark gives us a little bit of insight into their efforts of evasion because in a sense, they absolutely did not believe that John's work and his ministry and his testimony 
was of God. Because if they did believe that what John the Baptist did and said was of God, then they would have believed what John said about Jesus, that he is the one who has come. I am not worthy to untie his sandals. He is the Lamb of God. Listen to him. That's what John said. So did the Sanhedrin believe that what John said was from God? Of course not. If we say from heaven, then Jesus will say, why did you not believe him then? So an admission of John's divine authority would compel them to believe what John said about Jesus. So that should have been their answer. No, John's ministry was of man, not of God. So why didn't they just say that? They were afraid of the people. All the people apparently believed that John the Baptist was really a prophet. And if these religious leaders come out and they say, John's ministry, the guy that all of our people like, and they believe in him, and they believe he's, if we say he was not of God, we don't get good seats in the synagogue anymore. We don't get that prominence, that favor that we have had with the people. Jesus forces them, you got to pick a side. And what do they do? They don't. They do not pick a side. We don't know, they say. They have to walk away clearly defeated. They lost the battle here. Not the war. They will be back. And they will be back at Jesus in all kinds of ways. And Jesus expects it. He's counting on it. But it's not, all of that's just the calm before the storm. And Jesus knows it. So to these religious leaders, Jesus says, you have to pick a side. Draws a line in the sand. More than just forming opinions about who do you say that I am. Time to pick a side. It's decision time. It's commitment time. So the question here for us is, is Jesus still saying, pick a side. Let me tell you about a church that wouldn't. Revelation chapter three tells us about a group of believers in a place called Laodicea. Now, Laodicea was a church, one of the seven churches to whom Jesus addresses the letter of Revelation. And Laodicea, the culture around Laodicea was very self-sufficient and stubborn. It's seen in, in their posture after a great and terrible earthquake happened in 60 AD. The people of Laodicea refused Roman imperial disaster relief funds, saying, we don't need it. We don't need Big Brother's help. We don't need anyone to come to our rescue. We got this. And that ind independent, self-sufficient attitude found its way to infect the church of Laodicea. Because to the church in Laodicea, Jesus says this, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. Like I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, 
poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy gold from me, refined by the fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself with this, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. This tepid indifference of the church of Laodicea makes this the only church of the seven churches to whom Jesus writes the letter of Revelation. It makes this the only church that he has nothing good to say. I don't want to be that church. That if the Lord Jesus Christ were to somehow in a vision or by a prophet give a letter to the American church or the church of Timberline church or this church family, and he says, I got nothing good to say about you. You're neither hot nor cold. You're just self-sufficient doing things on your own. I wish that you would just pick a side. And so we've got this, the letter of Laodicea that stands up like a mirror. The church of Laodicea, the letter, what we see in this is like a mirror that shows us, what do I see when I look in the mirror? Not what do I want to see? (laughs) How many of us have found ourselves glancing at the mirror and we wish we would see something a little bit different than what's actually reflected there? Maybe it's not a broken nose or eye gunk all over the place, but but you're just not in the shape that you thought you were. Or you say, I'm I'm getting in shape, I'm committing, I wanna look like this. But when you look in the mirror, what's reflected is not what you want. We have this, people. We have reflections of churches like Laodicea to say, when I look at the pattern of my life, maybe years ago, I gave my heart to Jesus. I am a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christian. But when I hold this up against my life, am I in the shape that I want to be? Or what does the mirror really show me? That's why we have all of this, the examples of the Sanhedrin and the mirror of scripture, not to show us what we want our lives to be like, but what are they really like? What does scripture really show me? Is there any amount of waffling in my life? that on Sundays I proclaim, I'm going to church, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm all in. But by that next Friday, just like the crowd, my faith is nowhere to be seen. When I hold the mirror of scripture up, when Jesus enters Jerusalem, is my life like the Sanhedrin, waffling? I don't know where faith is actually lived out. Is my faith like the crowd of Jerusalem, proclaiming, Messiah, save us? on Sunday, and then by Friday, he's getting crucified, and and our swelling acceptance and warmth of him is nowhere to be found. Church, Jesus is still saying, pick a side. Do not be like lukewarm Laodicea. Is Jesus Lord and Savior? Did you give him your life years ago only trying to take it back? What does the mirror of your life show you? Not what do you want that answer to be. What does the mirror of your life show you? 
So last point, last implication, picking sides has consequences. Picking sides has consequences. I want to tell you two stories that can show you from my personal experience that good or bad, we have to pick sides and picking sides will have consequences. First story, I love baseball. I love baseball. And in fact, when I was younger, around the age of 12, I was really good at it, if I do say so myself. And I do. <laughs> and so I was a catcher and I was leading the league in hitting. And when it came, to, it came time to uh, all-star selection, my two coaches picked their two sons, pitchers, for the all-star team. And man, when I, as a 12-year-old, had to respond to this epic global disaster, I decided, you know what? You're going to have to find someone else to call their pitches next year, coach. I'm out. And I showed them. And I walked away from the sport that I loved and that I found myself pretty good at and never returned. I'm a huge fan of baseball still, but I don't know what would have happened. What, what would have engaged if I, if I made a different choice? I picked a side standing against my coaches. And picking sides has consequences. Now for the good side of things. I recently shared this story at Summit. My wife and I always like to kind of share this story where, where during our period of dating in college, we broke up for about six months. And it won't be surprising to any of us that it was my fault for why we were broken up. But that's not the point. Stay focused, people. So this is a part I actually didn't share at Summit. Um, while we were broken up, we still hung around the same group of people. We had the same friends. And so uh, we tried doing the whole just friends thing. And so we'd go to an event and we'd be hanging around the same group of people. And here's why it was so hard for me is I got to see firsthand what a great thing I had missed out on in my relationship with Kay. I was still friends with her. We were still around, but, but this is a girl that I had dated and look what I had missed out on. And now just being friends is kind of just constantly pouring salt in the wound. So I had made up my mind. I decided to pick a side and this whole just being friends thing wasn't gonna work out for me anymore. So I, I marched over to her apartment and I said, hey, um, I've decided that just being friends is too hard for me um, it's not going to work. And I had a whole laundry list of why that that was the case. And before I could continue on, she kind of interrupts me and goes, oh, well, I was thinking that maybe we could get back together. And immediately I pivoted and, and I said, forget what I came here to talk about. Let's, let's talk a little bit more about what you have to share. Picking sides has consequences. And actually, uh, on a fun little side note, uh, it has nothing to do with this sermon, but just to kind of finish off that story, the next thing that she said in the conversation was, but if we're getting back together, you need to know I am never moving to Colorado. <laughs> you betcha. Got it. Someone should have told her what I'm telling you. Picking sides has consequences. <laughs> So in answer to the question that we asked earlier, yes, Jesus is undeniably still saying, pick a side. How do I know if I've picked a side? Picking sides has consequences. 
It's going to result in something. If my life has never changed since I've given it over to Jesus, then I probably have been trying to take it back ever since. Is Jesus my savior, my get out of hell free card, or is he also my Lord? The one who I owe my whole life to. Pick a side. So what's it like being on Jesus' side? If, if picking sides really has consequences, then what is it like being all in on Jesus' side? Well, I know a summary can't do it justice, but I'm going to try. Abundant joy. Secure identity and purpose. People around you, no matter what you go through in life, that care about you and know you and stick with you. Worshipful existence. A satisfaction unparalleled to any other kind of fulfillment that life can offer you. And no, a summary like that can't do it justice. I can try. But you know what? If you're a follower of Jesus, it's your job to live out the answer to that question. People around you should see what is it like being all in on Jesus? Because I can give people as a pastor a summary, but your story, your life lived out is the best version of that answer that they're ever gonna get. Am I showing people what being all in on Jesus really looks like in my life? Sometimes those opportunities to testify, they come to us. Sometimes we choose things like baptism. We were gonna have several baptisms today, but, but we had kind of a swell of illness, and so it's gonna have to be another time, and we'll make sure to celebrate those stories with this church family as soon as possible. But it's the lives, it's the testimonies of the church that give us the opportunity to share it. And what I love is sometimes those opportunities, they just find us, even when we're not expecting it. I was recently having a lunch in Oklahoma City, and I was uh, talking to this gentleman who had a Broncos hat on, and so lots to talk about there. And, uh, and, and so when he left after about 30 minutes, his buddy that was sitting on the other side of him, he and I started having this conversation and had about a 40-minute conversation. He has this interesting diet that he's doing of sorts, all meat, like I'm a fan. And so, uh, so anyways, I... I kind of finish this conversation with this guy, pay my tab, start to back away from the table, and I get the question. And if you're not a pastor, maybe you don't know what the question is, but it goes something like this. So we've been talking all this time, and I haven't asked you, what do you do? I said, oh, uh, I'm a pastor. And he all of a sudden like trips over himself and, oh my gosh, all the bad language I've been using and the stories I've told you. And I didn't know I was talking to a pastor. But within moments, it got really interesting because he, he quickly pivots and he says, you know, I've been struggling with, with what I believe about Jesus and heaven and hell. He said, because if I really believe what Jesus tells me to believe, then what does that mean for my dear friend and his reality after this life? And I kid you not, in a moment, tears start streaming down this man's face. 
Guys, I was just here to have a chicken quesadilla before a conference and, and kind of play it lazy. I honestly wanted just a light chicken quesadilla lunch at, at some restaurant in downtown Oklahoma City. I was trying to be lazy this day, but the opportunity to testify found me. And this is where I wholeheartedly believe that if we're open, if we just have a posture of openness, the Holy Spirit will be true to what he says in his word, that he will give us what to say. And so my response to this man who had this pivotal interaction with the reality that is if his beliefs were really true, he had to pick a side. His friend had to pick a side. And he looks at me with tears in his eyes and goes, what do you think about that? I said, I don't know. I don't know your friend clearly as much as you do and care about him. So I can't presume an answer about your friend's eternal reality without knowing him at all. But I'll tell you what I do know. I personally know about a God that knows and cares for that friend even more than you do. I know that God knows him and cares for him in a way that even surpasses the way that obviously you deeply know him and care for him. And here's the thing, his story isn't over. Jesus trying to reach him, maybe even through you, his story isn't over. Maybe today's the day that makes you, makes him pick a side. So yes, Jesus is undeniably still saying, pick a side. You're going to have to come up against that decision. What does your life, your testimony lived out, what does that say to others? What does that say to you? What does the mirror reveal that your decision is? So I want the worship team to come up, and as they do, I wanna pray over this. I wanna lead us in a time where, where we come before Lord God Almighty, recognizing that, that for someone, this may be their moment, their encounter with the need the definitive need to pick a side. Maybe they've heard about Jesus, grown up in church, familiar with Jesus, or maybe this is their first encounter. But we don't know what time we have. We don't know what other options we're gonna be left with. Jesus, you are imploring people when they come in contact with the reality of your death and your resurrection, taking death and sin head on, in a fight to the death and then conquering it on Easter Sunday, that you won that battle for us. And so we all have a choice, a side to pick. Are you Lord and Savior or are you not? Pick a side. God, for any soul responding right now in this moment, I pray that they would know that they are surrounded by people. A great cloud of witnesses coming alongside of them, celebrating what you are doing in their heart and their life. They are with family here. And I pray for those of us that call ourselves by your name, Jesus, that we are Christians. Help us look at the mirror of our lives. What side 
are we showing that we're picking today? Or do we want to be like lukewarm Laodicea, just not having to decide with our life, with our schedules, with our efforts? And God, I pray that you would implore us, either hot or cold, pick a side. Jesus, on as far as me, my heart, my soul goes, I want to respond in worship. I want to respond in what you have done for me and through me. And I want to testify to the world about that goodness. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities and much more, visit timberlinechurch.org connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.